Annyeong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrest Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren. Uh, I'm here with two guests. First, I have Enrique Del Castillo. Hello, Enrique. Hi, Darren. Hi. And I have Jim Donahue. Hello, Jim. Hey, Darren. Hey, Enrique. Hi, Jim. And uh, Jim is returning from episode nine of season one, which was Storming the Castle, uh, a very uh, Job-heavy episode. Um, and Enrique is um, a podcaster in his own right. Is that correct, Enrique? Yeah, yeah. I'm also a podcaster. I have a small TV-related podcast called El Stream Matual Cable, like Stream Kill Cable. It's in a Spanish-language podcast because I'm, my native language is Spanish. But I comment with a friend uh, different TV shows that are current and sometimes from the past. Um, this episode that we're covering today, is it was broadcast, as you hear this episode, exactly... 12 years ago, on the 7th of November, um, it's written by Richard Rosenstock and Mitch Hurwitz, of course, both of whom we've spoken about many times before, and it's directed by Lee shalat uh once again, another person who has directed a number of episodes. Uh, we're at the start of Season 2. Um, the show was renewed quite late in Season 1. Uh, in between the end of Season 1 and the start of Season 2, it won four Emmys including the Emmy for Best Comedy. You would think that this would mean that Fox would know what to do with the show, but uh, unfortunately, they didn't. Although, to give them credit, they moved it back from 9.30 to 8.30, so it was now following The Simpsons. So, I guess they tried something, um, but uh, it, it kind of it didn't really help. Um, most notably, they, they ordered a back nine for this episode, for this season, so there would be 22 episodes, and then they cut it back to just 18 episodes. Um, a, 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 an event which gets mentioned in a storyline um, somewhere around episode 15, 16. Um, and I think later on in the season, there is kind of a feeling that some of the storylines got a little bit compressed, kind of stuff that started in kind of episode 12, 11-ish, ends up having to kind of be wrapped up very quickly. Um so clearly they kind of planned for 22 and then they had to cut back on some of the stuff. Uh, a few characters kind of vanish out of nowhere and they, they kind of they don't explain some storylines. Um, but we can get into that later on as we get into season two. For this episode, I'm going to read you the summary as I found it on the internet uh, on IMDb. And it goes as follows. Michael Bluth denounces his family after Joyce Sr. escapes to Mexico with his secretary Kitty, but when Michael announces his plans to move to Phoenix, Barry informs him that he cannot leave California or he'll face prosecution for his father's crimes. While Michael scrambles to find the company checkbook, Lucille signs Buster up for the army, and Lindsay and Tobias institute an open marriage. Um, so, uh, I feel that's an accurate summation of this episode. A lot of this episode kind of revolves around Michael... Um, trying to go to Phoenix and then uh, not going to Phoenix um, and then kind of searching for the, the checkbook going from person to person trying to find out um, where it is um, and in between that we have you know a storyline with um, George Michael kind of just talking about Anne but we, we don't actually see her in this episode uh, and Job as he as he starts putting holes in the wall of the office he uh, he finds some papers that are written, and I think he he says um, half English, half squiggly, <laughs> is his description of it. I actually had to, I actually had to go back and watch the uh, closed captions on that because I couldn't figure out what he meant. But then I laughed. Once I <laughs> and we have this running joke of Oscar. Every time he's out in public, he gets taken down by the police officers, um, even outside the police station after he's been freed from being wrongfully arrested. Um, because they, everyone keeps thinking he's, he's George Bluth. In fact, the police seem very intent on finding George Bluth the amount of times they tackle Oscar like out in the open. Yeah, and they have this overly excited cop that whacks him always at the end of the, of the police tackle. Yes, every, every time they take him down, they give him one good whack to make sure, which I think is quite funny. Yeah, so, you know, that's kind of the basic uh, kind of outline of the episode. Now, Enrique, because you are new to the podcast, I'm going to ask you, um, when did you come to... Arrested Development. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess people have probably sussed from your accent that you're not in America. Um, so I don't know what the coverage for Arrested Development would have been like. Um, I know over here, um, it it, it kind of took a few months to get to us for the first season. Um, so uh, when did you come to 
Arrested Development. I did see the show about the time it started in the US. I mean, well, a couple of a year later, I saw my the first episode I saw was one that had uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, because I was watching Seinfeld at the time around 2004, and I saw ah let, that's there's Lane that show must be interesting. So I watched that episode, and that's how I got hooked on Arrested Development. It was being broadcast in Fox Network, the Hispanic Fox Network, and it was like it started some months later than the U.S. As, as I read later, and it finished uh, pretty much like in the U.S. in a very rushed way in 2000, 2006. Uh, but I did manage to see the show about the time it was being broadcast in the in the U.S. About I started a bit late, but then I caught up. And I saw the final episode, maybe a couple of months after it finished. Was it shown US. dubbed or was, subtitled? It was oh, okay. uh, with subtitles. Subtitles. I don't watch TV shows that because dubbing sometimes it's not as as good as watching the original, the original voices, the original dialogue. I th I think well a lot of this um, a lot of the stuff on Arrested Development is all about the tone of voice as well of the the actors. Like some of the jokes only work because of the way that Will Arnett says something, or the way that Jason Bateman kind of pauses. So I, I don't think Dubbin would really, you know, be able to preserve those kind of jokes. Yeah, that would be tough. Yeah, I don't think they will translate that well. Yes. Well, let's get into the episode then. Um, we start where the previous episode left off with um, Michael Bluth, and as with the the pilot episode, we get the narrator saying. This is Michael Bluth to like open the show, and you know Michael in the in the pilot he he dreamed of leaving the family and going to Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and for some reason he's doing it again here. And the the weird thing is that they appear to have not told the rest of the family. And now, if if you recall the on the next from the um, the previous episode, the the end of season one. You see the whole family together, finally coming off the Atkins diet and all eating bread and various other carbohydrates. And you'll notice that Michael and George Michael are not there. So I guess, you know, they, they didn't tell them. Although the, the scene before that, when they're at the hospital, uh, Michael says to George Michael, pack your bags when he finds out that George Sr. is missing. So I think his intention to leave was clear, but we find out through a conversation with George Michael that he didn't even realize they were going to Phoenix and that they'd, you know, they, they kind of like told the family. Um, but I, I do like that we, we get the, um, we get George Michael gets a little bit excited here when um, Michael says, They're a bunch of greedy, selfish people who have our nose. And Aunt Lindsay. And George Michael goes, She's not my real aunt. And I love how Jason Bateman says, Not a real nose. Got a picture of her when she's 14 in a swimming cap. She yeah. looks like a falcon. <laughs> I like how they tease that they are not actually related in many ways until they, well, eventually aren't. It's a very, it's a very subtle plot in there. I don't know if this is, I think with the rest of the development, there's a lot of credit for stuff being planted early. Um, like Buster's Hand, that kind of thing gets planted quite early in this season. Um, as we'll hear from um, John Beard in a, in a kind of in about a few minutes' time, um, but I think stuff like you know maybe and Lindsay maybe not being related to the rest of the family, I think is just something they kind of teased and they only really settled on it being a firm thing once they got to season three. Um, but I do like how they keep kind of toying with George Michael almost <laughs> by giving him little kind of glimmers of hope. Um, you know, previously we, we had the kind of Tobias saying uh, about, you know, how her conception was very difficult and, you know, so they we're kind of getting a little tiny hints towards what the final story will be. Um, but I'm not sure that even this far in that Mitch Hurwitz knew um, like a reveal that was going to be in kind of 30 episodes time. I, I think he was just kind of planting stuff just in case. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, uh, um, we, we find out that um, <laughs> we see a little flashback to Dr. Fishman, the literal doctor, saying we lost him. Um, you, you know, it, of course, the family misinterpreted it as George Sr. dying. Um, and then obviously, you know, that being the kind of the final straw for, for Michael leaving. Um, and this is where we find out that George Michael kind of you know, thought they were heading home and, uh, you know, that's what he thought until he heard about the Phoenix stuff. 
Um, and the narrator tells us that Michael was concerned that the full impact of his departure might have been lost on his family. Um, and we get a really a really odd little joke here where Michael identifies himself as Dr. Blumen. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, later in the episode, we will meet the Blue Man group. So that is the weirdest. I don't know. It's just pull forward, and I didn't even <laughs> notice that until I'd probably seen the episode about half a dozen times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice until you mentioned it. I thought it was like a blue blue thing, but it's it fits with the Blue Man thing. Yeah, it's it's just it's a weird little thing that they plant right there. And yeah, when you rewatch it, you're like, well, that's a, that's an odd name that he chooses. <laughs> and of course, Lucille, when she gets the phone call. She just kind of screams Michael's name and leaves the phone on the side. I love how, you know, when we get back, uh, when Michael returns, he walks in and says, Hello, Mom, any messages? And you can hear, like, the, the kind of the tone on the phone. <laughs> yeah, the, the phone is it was still up. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, it, which is quite funny. And I, I, love, I love how Michael says, There was a message, it was about my health, but it doesn't matter. And then we, this is where we get the kind of... I don't know. I don't know what this joke is that's going on here between Lustre, Lucille and Buster. But in in the in series in series one, Buster had a um, a rape whistle that he that in an episode he he blew and then kind of laughed and then said help um, to kind of demonstrate what the rape whistle would be used for. But here he's um, he's taken Lucille's rape horn. I love how we get kind of um, Buster's abbreviating where he he says yeah, like anyone would want to R her. And then obviously Lucille feels that. Uh, <laughs> Buster is out of control, but I love how she says. Suddenly, he's too much of a big shot to brush Mother's hair. And Jason Bateman's hesitation when he goes, "Well, I'm not." And then he kind of stops <laughs> and realizes what she's just said, and then he goes, "I'm not helping you with Buster anymore." And I, I just, I just, I just love it. I, I love it. That's one of one of the best pauses in this whole show. <laughs> yeah. He's he's like instantly kind of uh, disgusted, and then of course when when Michael continues to try and talk, Lucille keeps turning the blender on, and this is this is a joke that will happen more than once, um, at least in the second season, where people try to make an important speech or say something important to someone, and someone else just turns a blender on full blast, and we get a conversation here between George Michael and maybe about Anne, who maybe identifies as, have you told your girlfriend Bland? I mean Anne. Um, and then obviously George Michael, you know, he he, sa- he says she's not bland, and this is where maybe says... Really? Because, I mean, under her school picture it said not pictured. Okay. And then obviously George Michael lets her know... They printed a retraction in the spring supplement. Which I just think is such a kind of odd joke, but what's really weird is later on when we see Anne's yearbook picture, it will say underneath it, not pictured. So that is, that's a joke that they pay off later on. Uh, yeah, and we get we, we then find out about the uh, get out the vote assembly. I have a f- feeling that th- that this episode uh, was probably scheduled to happen a little bit earlier because Fox have baseball commitments, uh, which have a tendency to mess with their schedule during um, October, um, and they they generally they'll schedule everything to kind of start at the start of October, and then nothing will be able to broadcast a new episode for like three weeks. And then at the start of November, they finally get to put things back on schedule. Um, but I, th- I mean, I would have thought that this episode would have been scheduled to go out in October and would have been pushed back. But the way that this joke is played, it seems as though they were intending to always have it go out after the uh, 2004 US election. But uh, yeah, we find out that, uh, <laughs> that An Yong uh, is going to be the guy who, uh, who <laughs> orders the strike on Pearl Harbor. Um, which, you know, is doubly racist because he's not Japanese. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, although this might be one of the first times where Anyong doesn't greet us with his own name when he starts talking. This is this is kind of like one that he's gradually, as he's been in, in the show, started to talk more and more. And uh, this is kind of one of the first times where he's just kind of talked kind of almost normally, I would say. Yeah, I'd say he's, he's chattier here than... Any time before this. Yeah. And we don't get to see Anne in this episode. She was played by uh, a different actress in the previous episode than she will be in the next episode. Um, but we'll talk about her in the next episode because she debuts uh, uh, making a, uh, a mayon egg. <laughs> Which is such a, <laughs> such a terrible thing. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But, you know, so we get Michael making his big speech to the family where he says, I don't know why you're not taking this I'm out of here seriously, but I am out of here seriously. Joe Ben says, let's face it, Michael, you've made this threat before. And this is when we get a series of flashbacks where Michael... Um, I'm trying to remember the order of the flashbacks. Is the first one Lindsay or is the first one... Lucille. Oh, the first one, it looks like I Lucille has hit the last Tobias one. in the face. Yes, it's like a dinner, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And he says, I'm out of here. And then, <laughs> then, of course, he gets cut out of a chest and Job does another of his... <laughs> Michael's like... <laughs> kind of is cut out of the, the, the trunk. And then, obviously, we see... Um, we see Lindsay uh, protesting. Um, I don't know what she's protesting, but she's like in a, a chimp enclosure. Well, it, that's it. the the sign says something about an orangutan. Oh, orangutan! Is yeah, the the animal on the, on the on the ground is not an orangutan. It just looks mildly orange, but I don't think it's an orangutan. Right. I mean, it's worth noting that she's wearing a hoop T-shirt while protesting. So she's kind of publicizing her her charity whilst protesting another thing. And obviously Michael is like, I'm out of this family, (laughs) seriously, which I I love. And this is where we get, this episode has this running joke of George Michael telling people, like, where they're going when he shouldn't. And, like, almost every time he does it, he's in the wrong, Uh, as he often is whenever he's, he's with his father. Um, and I love how Michael says, uh, we're going to be so far away, you're not going to be able to find us. And George Michael immediately says, we're going to Phoenix. (laughs) 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 And, uh, and this is where we get one of Michael's classic kind of cutting off George, George Michael with a doesn't matter. Previously he said stuff like doesn't matter who. And this time he says, doesn't matter what. (laughs) This is where Michael uh, decides to kind of tell everyone in the family um, exactly what he thinks. There's a really nice sight gag here, calling back to the opening scene. George Michael is staring at Lindsay's nose because of what his father said earlier, <laughs> and she she gets really embarrassed and, and turns away. Yeah, she kind of hides it's it. Very subtle. Not is that? Yeah. Nothing is spoken, but it's purely sight gag. Yeah, it's just it's just as it's just as Lindsay saying, uh, "You need us more than we need you." Uh, just before yes. Michael launches into his speech, yeah, she kind of puts her hand over her nose, doesn't she, and kind of turns away from George she Michael. Does. And uh, yeah, it's a great gag. And then obviously, you know, this is where we get Michael listing off everything that everyone has kind of done wrong to him in the last year, uh, where he says, "Mom, you're always asking me to help you look after Buster. You can find somebody else. I hope she doesn't kill you." Buster blurts out, "I'll kill her first. <laughs> and I love Tony Hale's kind of like quick delivery of that line uh, you know and she said you know and then Michael's like you know Job instead of always coming to me asking me for money saying I've made a huge mistake and as he says that <laughs> Job goes I've never admitted to a mistake <laughs> and he keeps talking while Michael is you know kind of saying you can bail yourself out next time um, and then obviously you know Michael says Lindsay instead of sleeping in twin beds why don't you and your husband take the master bedroom it's not like you've never come to me with your marital problems saying, oh, help me, Michael. I think my husband might. And then <laughs> Tobias somehow has ended up with Lucille's rape horn and he kind of gives a quick blast of it to cut Michael off. Oh, um, and that, that's kind of the first time really since the second or third episode that anyone has explicitly said anything about uh, Tobias's sexuality. Most of the problems um, throughout the first season between Lindsay and Tobias have been put down to something other than uh, Tobias's sexuality. Most of the time it was Carl Weathers um, teaching him how to act, which which was kind of a big problem, you know, because he was spending so much time trying to be a frightened inmate number two. And then as um, as we get back to the kind of the, the Bluth boys in the car, uh, George Michael kind of imitates his, his father um, doing the, the phone call about the, uh, the health uh, thing. Um, but once again, he says Phoenix, um, which which I kind of I kind of like because you know he's he's doing the right thing by making the phone call to check that the family know they've gone. But then again, he just can't help but reveal the information. I, I also love that he tells them we'll give we'll give him the bad news. <laughs> so he wants the family to think that Michael is sick. Yeah, which I think is that's kind of like such a George Michael touch to kind of say. <laughs> sort of the kind of wrong thing there. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, uh, we get uh, <laughs> we get George Michael. This just crazy visual of George Michael sitting on Michael's lap, uh, driving the car. 
uh, they get pulled over, but not because that uh, of that kind of weird thing of of George Michael sitting on Michael's lap, but because the car was registered to George Bluth, and they say he's being caught. And the narrator, they they do this wonderful thing here where um, the narrator says Michael knew if he went back to see his father, he'd only end up saying something hurtful. And of course, Michael instantly says, "We're going back." <laughs> and then this is where we find out that that Oscar is still around. He like he um, he appeared. Uh, in a couple of episodes in season two, but he actually hadn't been seen for you know the last two or three episodes of the season. Um, so this is him making a return, and I I love in season two. You know, uh, George Senior, he will mostly be in an attic um, for most of the the season, um, which kind of limits Jeffrey Tambor's interaction with um, other characters like another you know, actors throughout the show it's mostly just him and um you know george michael to start off with and then obviously michael as the season goes on and then and then other people find out about him including tobias and job um and i think that storyline could have been very limiting and, and it could have been a bit of a waste of jeffrey tambor if he was just kind of like in the attic uh, but they but through oscar they find a way of actually having him uh, be around Lucille and be around Buster and kind of be, you know, at family events um, as his own twin brother. And I think it's it's uh, I think it's just a really good way to make use of Jeffrey Tambor. And I've said this in episodes in season one, but I think he really does give two very distinct performances. Um, you know, when he's Oscar, he's kind of a lot more kind of soft spoken, and and when he's George Senior. I mean, you know, he he's mostly been very kind of kind of distant and controlling. Um, obviously, that will change a little bit once he's in the attic and he has to kind of rely on people to bring him things up. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know your guys' feelings on Oscar and how they they kind of bring him into the main cast sort of for season two. I really like that he basically based all these references to who is Buster's true father and how the music goes all very mellow, very soft, very nice. And then we see Lucille making a snarky face of this foolish talking nonsense. Yes. I, I like that they never confirm that Buster is actually his son. But I like that we see Lucille making fun of, of that, what uh, Oscar thinks about Buster. Um, the first time you meet Oscar, he's massaging Michael's shoulders. And he says, hey, nephew. Uh, so, like, straight away, they, <laughs> he kind of is very Buster-like. Um, and he has like some of the same ticks that Buster has, um, but yeah, I do, I do like all this stuff where you know, like um, you know, when Lucille says the boy is here, and Buster says they said my father was here, and Oscar goes did they? There is music that always plays whenever there's any kind of intimation of the fact that Oscar might be Buster's father, and I love that he says they impounded my humble trailer, which is just such a. It's just like such a weird turn of phrase. But yeah, and even when, the, you know, Buster says, um, you know, he needs a father figure. And of course, Oscar says, yes, a father figure. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, I like the pause there, <laughs> like hinting at something else, but not actually saying that he's his father. Yeah. And of course, there's kind of a confirmation in the fact that when Lucille says, fine, but you're not sleeping in my bed, they both say. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> almost at the same time and with the same kind of tone of voice um you know which is i just think it's, it's kind of a, a really a fun touch um and obviously the stuff with with oscar um you know in the next kind of few episodes they really um kind of get into his character particularly as we are really missing george senior for this episode you know he he escaped at the start of the episode um, he'll kind of pop up again at the end of the episode, but we're mostly, for the next kind of three episodes, we're really missing George Sr. Uh, and we're mostly getting uh, Jeffrey Tambor playing Oscar. Um, and then, of course, uh, Michael <laughs> arrives to, uh, you know, be mean to his father, I think is his intention. And they meet Barry, uh, and Barry is scratching himself, and of course, uh, he then touches George Michael saying, Hey, kiddo. And... <laughs> Right after saying, does this look contagious to you? And then in the background, George, George Michael is kind of like trying to get whatever Barry has like touched. He's trying to get it off himself uh, in the background. Um, and then obviously, you know, we find out that it was just Oscar. And of course, um, 
<laughs> as even as they leave, they take Oscar down, and Lucille is saying, "Oh, for God's sake!" Um, you know, going out in public is going to be a very a, a kind of a, a major inconvenience for uh, for Oscar for most of the rest of this season. Um, now, the 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 cop who generally gets the last licks in—that is the same cop who turns up later in the season, who is adopting. He thinks he's adopting uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus's baby, who, of course, she isn't actually having a baby. But that's the same actor, right? I think his partner is maybe a different actor, but I think it's the same guy that wants to get the baby from Maggie. Yeah. Jay something, right? The actor Jay. It's, it's him in this episode, although I mean, he doesn't say anything, so uh, yeah. And his partner is Officer Carter, and we will find out later on that they are adopting him. Um, but yeah, whenever uh, whenever like Oscar gets kind of tackled later on, he will always get hit by someone. Um, just you know, one last time, just to keep him, just to keep him down. And I don't know why, because he's such a docile man. I don't think it would really need so many police officers tackling him. And even George Senior, you know, in his escape attempts, he's always been quite easy to catch. Um, yeah, but at this point, you know, after. Michael has found this out. He says, well, I only came back to tell him I was leaving, so I guess it's time to go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when George Michael says, we can't tell you, you know, he, he's correct. You know, this is this is essentially the rule of threes, because this would have been the third time that George Michael would have revealed that they were going to Phoenix. Um, but then Michael tells them we're going to Phoenix. And I love um, Henry Winkler when he says, oh, I wish you hadn't have said that. <laughs> Um, like his line reading is just really like kind of funny on that, um, and then he has to tell them they cannot leave the state, um, and then obviously you know when when Michael says I don't want to follow in his father's footsteps, I love the way that he goes. Then you might wind up on his cot. Like because he almost delivers it like kind of with a bit of glee, you know, and then of course he finishes by saying I wish you hadn't said Phoenix, <laughs> uh, which is kind of funny, and then obviously this is where Michael resolves to. Um, you know, go and get the checkbook to get some money. Um, <laughs> Barry said, take it out of the... It's funny because in um, in season one, there were times where Barry could have heard something illegal and he decided to kind of like say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I checked myself out 10 minutes ago so that he didn't get kind of involved in illegal stuff. But here he basically tells Michael to just take the money um, from the company, uh, you know, which is probably why he is, as George Senior has said, the worst lawyer. Um, and then Michael starts his hunt for the checkbook. Um, and this is where we get a new saying about family. Um, because up until now, um, you know, it's been family first or obviously, uh, you know, breakfast first, whichever is, uh, more applicable. And I love how he, how Michael asks, what do we say about family? And George Michael says, that's not in Aunt Lindsay's nose. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> <laughs> I love how he's still kind of obsessed with that a little bit. Um, and then <laughs> Michael goes, yes, but no. Um, and then George Michael's like, don't tell them where we're going. And Michael goes, we say we don't need them. And of course, George Michael's like, oh, yeah, okay, the new one. <laughs> Which, you know, that, you kind of imagine that Michael has kind of done this before to George Michael, where he keeps asking him a particular question, then changing the answer. And this is where we get uh, Lindsay <laughs> doing exercise um, that Michael says, you know, is for people as lazy as she is. And of course, we find out before the end of the scene um, uh, that she's actually doing Kegels. Um, and the reason that she's doing Kegels is because um, she caught Tobias using the same exercise tape and also doing Kegels, um, which I just think is like, it's kind of like a funny, a funny joke. Uh, and this is where we get the start of uh, a storyline that will last for pretty much all of season two, um, even though there are little kind of troughs where it sort of gets resolved, uh, like in the next episode and a few episodes after that. Um, but here they, you know, Tobias says, as a therapist, I've advised a number of couples to explore an open relationship where the couple remains emotionally committed, but free to explore extramarital encounters. And Tobias reveals, of course, that it never works. Um, and he goes but somehow these people delude themselves into thinking it might and then he stops and he goes but it might work for us so great delivery of that line as well yeah 
I, I love how he basically says people who do this are self-deluded, and then he self-deludes. Well, Tobias is pretty good at self-deluding himself, so I think it, it applies pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, I, I love how Tobias says, uh, we'll hammer out the details later. Right now, we've got a daughter to tell. <laughs> I think he's just a little too enthusiastic to tell maybe about this. Uh, and then, of course, he says, we're having a family meeting. And him shouting the words family meeting will help kind of tie the continuity for, for you know, like a, a scene and a couple of scenes time where you hear in the background him screaming, we're having a family meeting. And I think that's quite, that's like a nice touch. Um, they They kind of do this like little... Um, just kind of like showing stuff from different perspectives, basically, um, and it's not a big thing, but it's just it's just something that I, whenever he says family meeting, that's I, I just always hear uh, that shout, um, and this is where Lindsay will run into James Carr, uh, Newport Beach realtor, played by Ed Helms, um, who in two thousand and four I think was still uh, part of the Daily Show, um, you know, this is before he you know, left and uh, became a big deal. Um, and <laughs> I like how, you know, Lindsay's mind is clearly already in one place because he says, Job told me to come by. Um, and then she sa- he says, uh, tell him I like what I see. And obviously, <laughs> in the in the time that Lindsay has gone from the bedroom to the kitchen, she's already met someone. Um, but of course, Tobias is in the kitchen saying, you know, we're not going to get a divorce. We probably won't act on it. And of course, Lindsay's like, uh, I've met someone. And this is where Tobias kind of screams at the top of his lungs. Let the great experiment begin! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it just always gets me because it's just such a stupid thing for him to say. Um, But I like how he's kind of immediately thrown, like he's just suggested this idea, obviously not really thinking that he's going to take it seriously or anything's going to happen. And yet by the time they've got to the kitchen, Lindsay's already uh, got what she thinks is a date. Um, But we'll find out later on it's definitely not a date. Now, it's worth noting that Ed Helms returned to Arrested Development for season four, playing the same character of James Carr. Yeah, just in time to act on the consequences of the financial crash. Yes, it's it's weird, yeah, because they kind of turn his character into one. Um, he gives out loans to <laughs> Lindsay and Tobias and maybe, and they end up with these like big mansions. And he appears in a couple of episodes. I don't want to go too much into his storyline there. But yeah, it's it's interesting that they kind of, that the show almost uses him as a commentary on predatory lending. <laughs> um, which, considering <laughs> yeah. that his character is basically introduced... So that you can make a joke about spraying the smell of cookies um, and disappointing some children. Uh, it just seems odd where his kind of storyline <laughs> ends up going. But I guess once... You... It ends up being very dark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you've got Ed Helms, I guess, you know, you want to bring him back and you want to take advantage of that fact that he's already kind of in your universe. And then, of course, uh, you know, Michael, <laughs> Michael says to, um, to, to Lindsay, you're not using my master bedroom for that. Which I find to be kind of like an odd moral choice for Michael to make. But I guess he likes, you know, setting himself up to be better than everyone else in his family. So I guess it kind of would fit that he would kind of draw the line there. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like Michael to me. He he has been the one who has kind of talked to Lindsay about her, her marriage problems and kind of tried to get them back together and, um, you know, and helped as much as possible. You know, he made the offer to pay off like the credit card debts and... You know, so I, I think, you know, as as a kind of good brother, I would expect that he would, you know, want them to kind of stay together. Uh, but at the same time, if they want to go around having other people in in the in the master bedroom, uh, considering that he kind of left, I don't think it's really his business. But then, obviously, you know, he he's he's kind of like after the corporate checkbook, and um, <laughs> Lindsay uh, sends him to the office where Job is now in charge. Um, and of course, when Michael finds out that, he says, well, I'd better get over there before he brings the whole company down. And Lindsay says, it's only been three hours. How much damage could he do? And then, of course, she finishes the scene by going, and release, uh, which suggests that, she was, <laughs> suggests that she was holding a Kegel for the entire of that conversation. 
which actually causes as as Jason Bankman leaves, he hears that he hears the words and release, and he kind of pauses for a second just before the scene ends. And then, of course, the narrator tells us, "In three hours, Job had done forty-five thousand dollars in damage." <laughs> and we see Job, and this is such a like kind of uh, like a, a typically kind of Job scene in that he's already moved the normal desk out. Um, that was Michael's desk. He's put in a, a, a pool table, uh, but the thing is, there's not enough space. So every time he goes to take a shot, if his if his cue hits the wall, he has a guy who is basically putting holes in the wall so that he can play pool. Um, but it's just such. I just love how he goes. To, he goes to take a shot, and he, he kind of points to the wall and says, "And there." And the guy like puts a hole in the wall. Um, and then you know when he when he goes to take a shot and you know the the he's near the glass he goes and take out the window and Michael's like no 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 stop stop it kind of you know puts a stop to that whole thing um, but yeah I I do I do kind of I do I do like that he's like basically Joe will put a window out just so he can keep playing a, a, a game of pool basically um, and of course this is where we find out how Joe managed to get the board to agree that he should. Um, he should be the, the head of the company <laughs> where he says, um, you know, board member asks why we should believe in him. And he, he says, for the same reason that you believe a hundred dollar bill is no more than a hundred pennies. And of course, this is one of the very few times where one of his tricks actually works. And he shoots out a hundred pennies from his, his, his jacket. And um, <laughs> of course, Job says they approve me unanimously. Which Michael says, why wouldn't they? You've only lost him $99 so far. Now, I have to say, Lu- Lucille looks surprisingly impressed by the trick. She's in the background, <laughs> but she makes this expression like, wow. Yeah, yeah. the boards are pretty much very big children, no? Because I think they also did that with the whistles, that they were whistle-blowing at, at themselves, and Michael had to recall the whistles, and then some of the whistles disappeared. Yes, the, the board aren't terribly responsible. <laughs> They do tend to be swayed yeah. quite easily by gimmickry. They're a bit childlike. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, uh, obviously this is where we find out that Job sent a, uh, a realtor over to the house because he was showing the model house again. James says to Lindsay, I have an open thing going on too. I'll give you the address and you can come by. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, she <laughs> misinterprets. And when, he, when she gets there, of course, he says, I'm expecting multiples on this. <laughs> and, of course, Lindsay goes, well... I wouldn't be here if I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> and I love the puzzled expression on his face. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Because it makes no sense if you're thinking that they're there for a, a house. But I, I, love, I love this. I love that um, Job has this weird kind of like um, boating obsession. In the first season, we saw this a few times where he was going to take the yacht to South America um, or Portugal, depending, <laughs> depending on uh, his whim. Um and you know there was one time yeah, down down south to portugal yeah down south to portugal yeah um i'm sure enrique's been to portugal it's down south near you isn't it enrique um <laughs> yeah it's pretty much around here like you have to cross it to to reach anywhere else and um of course you know he said to he said to tobias you know um he was he was kind of telling him about george senior and he said you know it's going to be shape up or ship up um, so he seems to have this weird kind of obsession with boats, uh, and we will find that in the, um, it, it, you know, when when he uh, he names his his boat in the the next episode, uh, a name that Lucille misinterprets, um, and here he says he's running a, a tight ship. Um, Michael says with a pool table, and he goes, "It's a gaming ship." <laughs> I kind of like that logic. I don't know what a gaming ship would be. Like, would it just be a ship full of games? That I mean, I don't. I don't know what it is. But uh, Job seems very committed to it. Um, and this is where we get Job not knowing how to operate um, the phones at the Bluth Company. And this is again, this is this is another kind of running joke that will go throughout most yeah. of the second season, um, where, where he says, uh, you know, Michael. You know, Michael kind of says that, you know, he, he thought that uh, Job might need him. And, of course, Job, in attempting to do kind of like a joke thing, he's like, I can't wait to call the guys in to hear this one. He picks the phone up and he, he starts, like, pressing buttons. And Michael keeps trying to instruct him on how to operate the intercom. And it's just such a fun little bit because they, they, like, Job just can't seem to understand simple instructions. And Michael keeps trying to tell him 
the way to do it. And um, it finishes with Michael just going, all right, let's hang it up. Um, and then obviously, you know, we find out that Lucille was not comfortable with uh, Job having the the company checkbook. Uh, and so Lucille has, has kept it. And uh, the narrator tells us Michael now had the distasteful choice of either asking his mother for money or going to jail. And of course he says, Maybe Buster killed her already. <laughs> this is where we get another introduction of yet another um, kind of long-running joke. Um, complete with a nice little song from um, David Schwartz with the lyrics where it's like, uh, is it like, I'm down? It's kind of the lyrics or when I'm feeling down. Uh, kind of like a, a weird, kind of like wistful song that plays as Tobias kind of wanders around. Um, depressed that um, <laughs> that Lindsay has already met someone, uh, he f- he finds a leaflet for what he thinks is a support group for depressed men, um, and <laughs> that is the start of possibly the longest running gag because this goes all the way into like season three, um, you know. Uh, but we'll get we'll get into that in a, in a couple of scenes time because I, I want to hold back on that a little bit because we get Lucille seeing Michael and saying. <laughs> Possibly one of my favourite kind of put-downs where she says, well, if it isn't the boy who cried Phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is weird because you would think she would be happy that Michael decided to stick around, but she seems intent on driving him away. Um, And I'm going to say this is probably my least favourite, in the entire series, this is probably my least favourite line. Um, I think it's probably the weakest line that is in the entire Arrested Development. Uh, not including anything in season four for people who don't like season four, um, where he says, I was worried about Buster. I thought I might give him a little guidance, write him a check, be a role model. Where is the company checkbook? And I just do not get the logic of that whole sentence. Um, like, how would writing him a check be a role model? It's just, I don't like it. <laughs> I know. I, 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 think, I, I, I think it's actually pretty funny. I mean, it, the, the point of the joke is... He's trying to make the point that he's going to be uh, wants to give Buster guidance, but that's not what he wants to do. He wants the checkbook, so he's just stumbling over himself trying to find the checkbook. Yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, for a show that is really very good at setting up and paying off jokes, it just kind of feels like. I guess the point is he's he's kind of he has no real excuse to be there, and he's just kind of trying to get the checkbook. Yeah, he's a little bit desperate at this point. Yeah, I guess. Um, and obviously, you know, we see that Oscar is now living living there and Buster has a new role model. And Michael says, wow, you guys have really accomplished a lot in the last three hours. And obviously, Oscar has sent Buster out to to get a new... Um, is that what's... I can't remember. I'm trying to remember the scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he comes yeah. back with the air horn and he gets... He tries to use it when the police get to him. <laughs> yes. And he manages to blast it as soon as they hit yeah. him. This is this is kind of just as Job, you know, finds out because uh, Michael is talking about how you know that they might have built houses in Iraq, um, and you know, obviously, <laughs> Lucille says it's a very difficult charge to prove, um, and this is where Michael says, "I don't need anything. I'm great because everyone else is great. I can't tell you how nice it is to be not needed anymore." And then we see An Yong dressed as Uncle Sam saying, I want you. And Michael goes, okay, the jury might like that. <laughs> um. There's a nice little uh, uh, background joke in this scene where, where I think it's at the point where the narrator is saying Michael had recently found out that the model home he had, uh, similar to the ones in Iraq. We see the TV and a news broadcast and the, the chyron at the bottom says something about the house belonging to chemical and mrs Ali. <laughs> yeah yeah that, that is a great background joke <laughs> uh yeah um and then you know we get um our final scene with ed helms uh where Lindsay arrives for what she thinks is a date um and you know he says uh should we start in the kitchen and Lindsay says i thought the bedroom and he goes, sure, I'll meet you on up there. I've got to make sure this place smells like cookies. And I should, you should know I am anticipating multiples on this. Um, and obviously, Lindsay then takes a, a shower to relax. Uh, and then as she exits the shower, we see a, a man and his family. And he says, 
Come on, kids, we'll get downstairs and have some cookies. And the narrator tells us the kids were in for some bad news, too. They stumbled upon <laughs> Lindsay in the shower. Can you actually get cookie spray? Because I want, I want to handle the cookie spray. <laughs> I think usually... If they actually make that for real estate agents, I want I think, I think given what they call, you know, food technology, I think you can get anything to smell like anything. So I think having just, like, freshly baked cookie smell is probably a thing that you can probably get. I don't know if it comes in a spray. And I, I think actually... I think you get candles. I've seen candles. Yeah, ca yeah, I think candles would be probably the way that you would do it. I, I know that sometimes realtors do actually just, like, make a batch of cookies. Big cookies. Yeah, because that's just, that's quite easy. <laughs> you just get, you know, you just get some kind of pre-made cookie cookie dough, stick it on a tray, and so long as you're not Cher Horowitz in, in the film Clueless, uh, you know, you have the smell of cookies. What's the point of making the house smell like cookies? I, I, I understand the joke. Oh, because it, it's, it's real estate lore that you're more likely to sell the house if the house smells like freshly baked goods. Pies, cookies. That's, that's okay. a standard real estate trick. So that people can imagine being in the home. That's I guess that's a cultural difference because I, as far as I know, as many houses as I have visited to buy or rent, they have all just smelled like a house. <laughs> I, I, I guess that, I guess that the, the, the realtors you're going to just aren't trying hard enough. Yeah, I guess it will, I would prefer a house that smells like freshly baked cookies. <laughs> but yeah, and then of course, this is where we get the start of the joke, which is... Tobias, meanwhile, discovered that what he thought was a support group turned out to be a team of bald men painted blue. <laughs> and we see a little snippet of, of course, the blue man group performing with the, uh, the drums filled with paint. That that will kind of we, we get we get one of the best jokes about that in this episode. But you know, as the show goes on, they will rely on the kind of blue man kind of understudy running joke for quite a lot of jokes with Tobias this season. And I think it's a nice shift actually, because like the previous season was a lot of him with the kind of like frightened inmate, and he went into prison with George Senior, and you know the acting lessons with Carl Weathers were all about you know him. Be, playing a nude scene because he obviously you know being a never nude he couldn't so there was a whole lot of that in the previous season so i think it's very interesting that this season you know they go for the open relationship and also tobias and the blue man group is just such a kind of fantastic <laughs> running joke um for this for this season um, but it, you know, it's just a nice kind of development of his character. You know, they the, Tobias kind of has enough ticks as it is that you don't really need to do anything with his character. You can just have him show up and you know say the words "douche chill" and that be that be his whole kind of involvement in a story. But I like that they they decided to go in this direction uh, for this season. Um, and obviously, this is where we get the uh, you know another thing where uh, <laughs> where Oscar suggests that Buster should let his hair grow. And Buster says, uh, I've thought about it. I guess I'd look like you. And of course, Oscar goes, more than you'll ever know. <laughs> such, a, such a great kind of line. Um, and then obviously, after discussing, um, you know, many, uh, Saddam's, um, you know, many palaces, John Beard says, and a seal attack. Meet one surprised bather coming up. Of course, that is a definite call forward to what will yes. happen. Uh, yeah. One. Yeah. How many episodes away is that? That's quite a, quite a uh, deep into the season. Isn't eight it? episodes. It's halfway through the season. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. That that's a that's a long call forward. Yeah. In fact, if you count the amount of episodes that have Buster with both his hands, and you count the amount where he's lost a hand, and you only go up to the end of season three. He loses his hand at the exact halfway point in the series. So he has half of the, half of the show with a hand and half the show without a hand. And I prefer him with the hand because I think some of the jokes after he's lost the hand start to get a bit kind of more cartoony than the show. I mean, the show is kind of a little cartoony, but I think the whole stuff with Buster's hand gets really cartoony in parts. I'll get to that. If you listen to the commentaries on the dvds there was one comment tony hill makes and i don't remember exactly what he says it's been a long time since i watched it but it sounds like he wasn't exactly crazy about that development <laughs> himself yeah because it just meant for a lot of the time he's they either had to basically keep his one arm out of shot or he had to wear like the rig for having the fake hand or whatever yeah not that he didn't think it was a good joke but yeah, physically it just it was a pain in the yeah, ass it just it just turns into a, it just basically everything about buster just turns into being about the hand it kind of robs him of a little something i think um job has found some documents in the wall 
because of course he has, because we know how much George Senior likes hiding things in walls. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is where Lucille is, is coming over to, to talk to Job after this discovery of these documents. And while she's doing that, she's stopped by a Michael Moore lookalike. Um, and he asks, would you enroll your son or daughter in the army? And Lucille pauses for a brief moment, looks at Buster, and then goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very 2004 kind of joke. I mean, the whole Michael Moore being relevant, uh, being like sort of recognizable, just put a guy with a hat and a bird. Yeah, it kind of dates the episode, but it's still pretty good. I have to, I have to admit, uh, the first time I watched this episode, like Lucille, I thought that really was more. <laughs> I, I really did. I, it wasn't until rewatching it that I realized it was a lookalike, and they make a joke about it later that yeah. it was a, supposed to be a Kimmel guy. Yeah, or it's a, a Jimmy, a Jimmy Kimmel. Out? It's a bit on Jimmy Kimmel, and Lucille says, yeah. I, "I don't understand what it, that is." <laughs> In response. But that guy really looks and sounds like him. So. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good impression. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good impression, yeah. And then, obviously, we get to Michael, who ha- he, he realizes he's oh, out yeah. of options, and he says, knowing that his father had a penchant for hiding valuable things in walls, considered one desperate gambit. Um, and he has a hammer, and, of course, he smashes it into the wall. Behind the wall, we see Tobias, and he goes, Are you crazy? And Michael goes, Are you blue? Tobias goes, Only in color, Michael. Only in color. It seems like I might have stumbled upon an acting opportunity. <laughs> and of course, this is where we get Michael saying, as a member of the Blue Man Group. Oh my God. And of course he says, Oh no, you're thinking the support group, which of course he isn't. He's actually named it correctly. <laughs> but I love how I love how um, David Cross like plays this and just completely ignores that and just keeps going. Uh, and obviously he says, you know, I made that same mistake myself. They're called the Blue Man Group. But it's funny, if I hadn't sought out the support group, I would never have gotten this gig as an understudy for a performance art group. You know, the universe works in mysterious ways, Michael. You never know where help is going to come from until you look for it. Michael says, why does everyone think that I need help? Um, and I love how Michael is like, he, you know, Tobias says, Michael, look at you. I mean, you're holding a sledgehammer and you're covered in. And of course, he's touched him with his hands. So now he's got blue handprints on his shirt. And Tobias oh, and, is... Li- and the blue handprints are all over the the, uh, the house at this point. <laughs> yeah, that, and they will be for the rest of this season. Um, yes, you know, indeed. Every, every, I think they, I, I'm sure on one of the commentaries they say that in every single shot inside the model home for the rest of season two and for most of season three as well, every shot has a blue handprint somewhere in it <laughs> because they're just everywhere. Uh, but I love how <laughs> Tobias kind of uses the example of Michael having blue handprints on his shirt as an example of him reaching rock bottom when it's him who's just put them on there. Plus the fact that, I mean, this is a, a, a running joke in that it's unacknowledged by everyone around Tobias, he not only blew himself, he completely blew himself. As far as I know, the Blue Man group always wear uh, costumes, so they really only have to put blow makeup on their hands and heads. They don't have to do their entire body. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I... No one points this out to Tobias, though. Well, no, because he's not... He's. <laughs> I love that... Well, this is the point at which, you know... Michael realizes he's been too proud and he says, I need money. And Tobias goes, I can't help you. <laughs> of course, Michael just goes, I know. Um, but I, I just, I love how Michael actually kind of, at this particular, I mean, it's rare that you get a, a, a scene just with Michael and Tobias kind of alone talking to each other because usually it's in conjunction with it being, a, you know, the whole family or Lindsay at least is there or, you know, if it's in the kitchen, it's usually the siblings and Tobias. So it's nice that Michael kind of confesses that he he was bothered by how well everyone did without him. Um, and he says, I'll have to ask them for help. And the Tobias then says, and I have to ask for an audition. And of course, Michael goes, you haven't auditioned yet? Which, you know, is... I guess if he, he had auditioned, he'd find out that he doesn't have to paint himself entirely blue. And this is where Tobias says... I'm afraid I just blew myself. <laughs> of course, Michael says... There's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> Which I love, and I, I love that the narrator here does like a, um, I mean, a classic Arrested Development bit, which is a double meaning, where he says that Tobias rushed to the theatre hoping to be seen. Unfortunately, it was dusk, and he couldn't be seen. 
<laughs> leads to him being run over by Barry. Um, and of course, even if he had got to the, the Blue Man group at the theatre, they probably wouldn't have seen him to audition anyway, <laughs> because, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> so in neither sense was he ever going to be seen. Um, and then it's the narrator here reveals the timeline and says, for the second time in two days... Uh, but given the amount of back and forth with um, Michael and George Michael, I don't know that we've actually got to the second day, but I guess we'll have to trust the narrator. And he says that they uh, gathered at the hospital. Um, and of course, Lindsay asks what Tobias said, because obviously Michael you know, was the last one to see him. Um, and Michael, after flashing back to I just blew myself, Michael goes, he said some wonderful things, uh, which of course was the same thing he said when um, George Sr. said... <laughs> daddy horny michael and of course to convey that thought to lucille he said he said some wonderful things um <laughs> and then this is the point where michael is about to ask for help from the family but literally everybody <laughs> literally everybody needs michael's help as lucille and job and Lindsay all kind of say what they need including you know Buster saying mom volunteered me for the army just because the fat man dead which is probably one of my favourite lines as everyone is kind of blurting stuff out and I love that An Yong piles on with I lost my wig my uncle Sam wig uh, which seems like him just kind of you know saying something while everyone else is saying something but of course it is uh, it's it's actually a little kind of plot thing uh, that we'll find out in a a second and of course Job this is where Job says that he he knows too much. He got the thingy, half in English, half in squibbly. Um, and then obviously, you know, Michael says, I hate to cancel my medical follow-up in Phoenix, uh, but you give me the corporate checkbook and I'll see what I can do. Um, <laughs> I love how when Dr. Fishman shows up, um, everyone is kind of annoyed at the doctor. Um, and then I love when he says, it looks like he's dead. And everyone starts, <laughs> everyone starts crying. And of course, Job starts crying, but he starts saying, the tears aren't coming. The tears just aren't coming, which is the opposite of what's going on, because, of course, he's crying. Um, and of course, Michael stops it to say, uh, he looks like he's dead or he is dead. And Dr. Fishman says, it just looks like he's dead. He's got blue paint on him or something. He's going to be fine. And, of course, they all get very annoyed and maybe even gets bleeped. That's how angry the family are. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Lindsay throws something at the doctor. I don't remember what, but yeah. it's something. <laughs> yeah, the doctor in the back. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're all getting very angry at the doctor, which I think is quite funny. Yeah, I can't remember what Lindsay throws, but yeah, people people are basically kind of attacking the doctor. Of course, you know, he <laughs> he says, "I'll let you celebrate privately," as he kind of walks off. Um, and then we see we see Oscar, you know, saying, "You don't want some piece of <laughs> uncle hanging around." And then he gets taken down and Michael says, uh, that's not the guy you want. If you want anyone, it's me. Um, and then, you know, he explains the situation. And this is where Oscar, who obviously at this point is actually George with the Uncle Sam wig, hugs Michael and says, thanks, Mikey, which would be the giveaway because, you know, that's the only person that calls him Mikey is his father. Um, and as he does the hug, he takes the suitcase from Michael in kind of like a really kind of casual move um, and then you know obviously he walks away uh, and this is where they decide <laughs> and I, 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 love, I love when um, Job says that they've got the proof dad's signed contract with Sedan and Buster kind of silently goes Hussein <laughs> as though there is another Saddam I just love it uh, and this is where Lucille kind of gives in and you know says that they should use it um, to get Michael out of jail. And of course, this is where we find out that the briefcase has disappeared and Oscar actually shows up. And of course, he's <laughs> in a different set of clothes and An Young finds the hat and he says, someone take wig. And then the narrator keeps the same kind of speech pattern and says, it was George Sr. who took wig. <laughs> uh, and we see George Sr. on the... Um, on the stair car being driven by uh, Kitty. Although we don't actually see Kitty in this episode at all. Uh, but we know obviously no, she no. is the one driving him away. And of course, um, this is where we Job says to Michael... You've made a huge mistake. Uh, which I feel is a little bit of payback for earlier where Michael was like, you know, stop coming to me saying you've made a huge mistake. Um, I feel like Job kind of 
using that line on Michael here is just a little bit of a kind of payback. Because, of course, Job has to kind of take advantage of the fact that Michael's situation, uh, you know, because that's just, that's just kind of what he does. Um, and then we get the on the next where Lindsay is told by Dr. Fishman, you look really hot. Uh, but, of course, it turns out she's got a fever of 104. And she's admitted to hospital alongside Tobias. Uh, and then Michael, you know, gets to the corporate checkbook and basically finds nothing left. There are no checks left. Um, and then, of course, Barry's in jail because Tobias apparently is pressing charges. Although in future episodes, no one will ever mention this again. Uh, it's another. No. It's another. No. Yeah, it gets dropped very fast. Yeah, it's just. I think it's just because they wanted to do a callback to the pilot, and you see Barry echoing what George Senior said where he says, I'm having the time of my life. And then Dr. Hate walks by and Barry goes, hey, Dr. Hate. And of course the guard says, no touching. And that is the last time we'll hear someone say no touching for a long time. Oh. Like, it's not until you get to like the start of season three, where um, when George Senior's put under house arrest and Michael actually says more touching rather than no touching. Um, but that's the last time that we'll see it in a prison, basically. Say goodbye to no touching. But, you know, we've got so many so many other gags have been started up that will run for the rest of this season uh, that I don't think we're really going to miss the prison. And I think they kind of... Something that I said in the episode that went out last week about the end of season one as well, I think they'd kind of done enough in the prison that by the time they got to the end of season one, you felt like do you know they'd done as many jokes as could possibly done with George Sr., being in in that confined situation and having to be visited by different family members, you know, and the kind of the conferences with the no touching. I mean, they went out on a high because <laughs> the final kind of prison scene with George Senior, you have um, Job has got like a jar full of bees and he gets tackled and Lucille says you can't have bees in here. So like, you know, that was kind of like a really funny joke to kind of go out on. Um, but I feel like they kind of done enough of the, you know, with the with the kind of prison stuff in season one. So it's nice, nice to kind of have a little tiny send off here to it at the end of this episode. I really liked it. I had forgotten that this was the prime, the first episode of the season. But it's a good, it's a good introduction. The whole thing about uh, Michael being pursued because of the whole like acting and your senior disappearing, and then in a couple of episodes later we learn where he went and what happened to him. The whole Tobias and the Blue Man Group. It, like you said, we dropped the prison thing, but it was the start of a lot of new plots and a new a new jokes. I really like the episode. I like the way that this connects to Michael trying to reach Phoenix in season four. I think he gets out of the airport that time. <laughs> in this episode, he only gets to half of the road. <laughs> but it's yeah. like a place he will never reach. And once he gets there, he finds it's not the place yeah. he wants to actually be in. Yeah, I think it's too hot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He like literally like burns his hand on like one of the, the handles for the cab, doesn't he? And he he basically doesn't... He... Yeah, yeah, he burns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, season two is great. And this is a, a great start to... Uh set up some plot lines for the season. So well thought out and a lot of great jokes. On the next episode of uh, I've Made a Huge Mistake will be uh, episode two. Uh, my guests will be Matthew Siegel, I want to say is how you say his name, and uh, Ryan Michney. Um, so I, I hope you can join me for that. Um, now, do either of you guys have anything that you wish to plug? Um, I'm going to start with... Uh, Enrique? Yeah, my Twitter account is Enrique DCF. I mostly tweet in Spanish, but sometimes I can also tweet in English, mainly because I follow a lot of uh, pages on people, American or British, so I usually write in English. My podcast is in the, obviously in Spanish, so if there's any Spanish-speaking part of the audience of I Made a Huge Mistake, you can listen to me talk about TV there as well. Uh, well, I guess that will be all. All I have to plan. Great stuff. And Jim? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Other Jim Donahue, and I'm also Other Jim Donahue on Letterboxd. Uh, always looking to follow uh, people on Letterboxd. So uh, look for me there. And hey, I, I just wanted to bring up one thing that didn't come up, come up in our conversation a, a very subtle joke okay. that I only noticed on this watch and i think the only reason i noticed it is this was the first time 
I ever watched the episode in high def. Um, when Job takes the sledgehammer to the wall and finds uh, the uh, attache case, he's about he's trying to hang a photo of himself. <laughs> and for the first time, I noticed the photo of himself. He's wearing the same shirt that he's wearing at that moment. So yeah. he's just taken a photo of himself, printed it out, framed it, and is then going to hang it. Yeah. First time I ever noticed that. That's, <laughs> and I've seen this episode. I guess it's probably like the eighth or ninth time I've seen this episode. That is a great little gag. Like, I love as well that he decides a sledgehammer is the way to put a nail in for a photo as well. Oh, uh, well, of course. How about <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, thanks to both of you for joining me for this episode today. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks. It, was, it has been very fun. Nice to be back, Darren. Thanks. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And otherwise, goodbye. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>